Pastor Bowen said this is the last Sunday of 2015. It's hard to believe. Feels like just yesterday we were having our New Year's Eve service here and having all these tables in here and making a huge mess that us staff had to stay and clean up afterwards. And uh, we don't have to do that this year because we had a Christmas Eve service that we had a huge mess that we had to clean up afterwards. But it was worth it and we really enjoyed it and it was great. We had a beautiful Christmas Eve service. If you missed it, uh, you definitely missed something because it was a lot of fun and the kids did a great job. But uh, but it, it, with 2016 approaching, you know, we're, we start to reflect on the year, this past year, start looking forward to the next year. And, you know, I think with 2016, there, there's a lot to be excited for for this new year. Uh, for one thing, it's bowl season. Uh, well, I figured I'd get a lot better response from the men. They're afraid. It's not spiritual to be excited about a bowl game, right? Uh, how about the NFL playoffs? Those are coming up. Anybody excited about those? Okay, two of you. That's good. Um, but, but more so than that even, the, the fact that we have a new year coming, what it represents for us is kind of having a clean slate. You know, there's, there's always an excitement with a new year. Uh, whether or not 2015 was good for you or not, there's just the, just the idea that, okay, I start on Friday, it's a brand new year. I can leave 2015 behind. Whatever happened in 2015, if I made some bad choices, if I did some things I'm not real proud of, if I wasn't really, uh, if I didn't do great in my commitment to the Lord or to my family, it's, it's, it's in the past now. And I can look forward because it's a brand new year and we can get excited about that. Amen. And, uh, and I'm personally very excited about it. I always am. I love the idea of having a, a fresh slate and a clean or a clean slate and a fresh new year. And I think it's really significant that, you know, that we celebrate Christmas the last week of the year, because, uh, the, the title of my sermon today is giving God your best. And I'm going to challenge you today to give God your best in 2016. And the reason that I think Christmas is so significant that it falls the last week of the year is because what Christmas represents for us as believers, if you have any, any faith in God at all, or you've been raised in church at all, or you have any relationship with the Lord, you know what Christmas represents for us. It's so much more than the presents and Santa and, and the, the food and being with family. It, Christmas at its core represents God giving his best for us. Amen. He didn't, you know, when, when God saw the sin in the world and that, that we needed a redeemer, we needed a savior, we needed redemption, he didn't say, okay, well, I'm going to send, you know, one of the angels. I'm going to send Gabriel or Michael or I'm going to send a prophet or I'm going to send somebody to, to just try to convince my people they need to stop sinning. He didn't do that. He said, for, for my people to really be redeemed, I've got to send my best. I've got to give them my best because it's the only way they're really going to be redeemed from their sin and saved from their sin and to have new life. And so he did the best thing that he could possibly do, which was to send his son, which then Jesus, not only did God send his best, but then Jesus being here, he gave us his best too, because he lived his life, a sinless life, died a sinner's death on a cross for us, just for you and me. And not only did he give us our best, his best, he gave us his best while we were still sinners. You know, we hadn't done anything to deserve the, the grace of God that was poured out on us. And so I think it's, it's significant and it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it's something that we can reflect on during the Christmas season to think, okay, God did his best for me. So when the new year comes only a few days later, I think it would be easy or obvious for us to think, okay, well, then I want to give my best for God too. I want to give him my best this year because he's worthy of it. Because he, what he did for me, I want to do, give my best for him. And it's, you know, it's easy for us to, to fall into that trap of feeling like, uh, you know, we can at least give God something. You know, oh, I just want to at least give him something. I want, to, I want to do better. I want to give him what I can. I'm not at a place where I can give him my best, but I want to give him something. And that, that's a trap that we fall into sometimes of feeling like, well, it, at le- if I at least give him something, that's better than nothing. 
And I, I'm here to tell you today, church, that that's a lie from the pit of hell. That God does not want us to give him just something. Something isn't better than nothing when it comes to our relationship with God. Because not only does he deserve our best, he commands our best. He commands us to give him everything. When, when we understand the sacrifice that he made for us and what he did for us, then he expects the same thing from us. And for us, that's, sometimes that's hard to grasp. But at the same time, it's actually really good if we do that because we, when we give him our best, we realize that he's not asking us to give him our best just so that he can say we give him our best. When we give him everything we are, it takes us to a place in him where we see his heart and we get to live our life. He gets to live his life through us. And we live, all of a sudden life has meaning for us. And so he calls us to give him our best. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some verses that, that will challenge you in that. And, uh, and encourage you to give him your best. And what I've done today is it, my message, I want to give you three questions that I would ask you to ask yourself as we approach this new year and as we start this new year. Because, you know, it, we have this thing in, in church work where we, we kind of joke about it that there's, there's always a bump in attendance in January in churches, always. Um, people, people have this idea that, you know, well, it is a new year and they want that fresh start. And a lot of people say, well, you know what, I want to get in church. I want to be in church more. I want to uh, I want to get my life right. I want to get real with God. I want to do better in my relationship with him so that people start coming to church more. And you almost always see a bump in attendance in January. And, and the joke is with pastors is that, you know, in January, you're ready to add staff and put an addition on the building because you just feel like you're just going to bust out at the seams. And then by, you know, late spring, early summer, all of a sudden you're wanting to fire staff and lease out part of your building to recoup some of your income. And uh, now, Lord willing, that's not going to happen here at New Hope. Amen. We're going to, when we get a bump in attendance, we expect it to stay and we just kind of rise from there. Amen. And uh, we believe for that. But, uh, but it's just human nature when the new year comes to want to wanna do better and to want to get a fresh start. And so there's three questions that I'm gonna, I want you guys to ask yourself today and I'm going to kind of walk you through it. And I just want you to be introspective and thinking uh, and be honest with yourself and how you would answer these questions. And then I'll give you an opportunity at the end to respond. The first question that we would ask ourselves is, is it costing me anything to follow Christ? Is it costing me anything to follow Christ? And that's something only you can answer. Because see, it's not, we can't follow Christ if it doesn't cost us anything. I want to read a verse from Luke 9, verses 23 and 24. And it says, and he was saying to them all, this is Jesus. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So I want to challenge you today. If it's not costing you anything to follow Christ, that I would challenge you to reevaluate your relationship with him. Because there's, there's no way, for me, there's no way that I, it cannot cost me anything to follow Christ. It cannot cost you nothing. I know that's a double negative, but that's one place where it's actually appropriate. It cannot cost you nothing to follow Christ because Christ, to do what he did for us, cost him everything. And so he expects the same from us. And from this verse, we see what he expects from us. And there's a few words and phrases in this verse that I want to share with you and kind of expand on a little bit. Uh, at the very beginning, Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me. So the, the first word is anyone. So anyone means anyone and everyone. And I realize that's incredibly profound, and I'm sure you're wondering how I even came up with that. Uh, but that's actually a joke. But basically, if you are someone, if you're a person, you fall under that category. So this verse is for you. 
There, there's people that would try to argue that this verse is just for, you know, vocational ministers, you know, professional Christians, those that have, are given their life, you know, in missions or whatever. But this verse is for all of us as believers. We are called to, to adhere to this verse and to, to apply this verse to our life. So if you are alive, you are anyone. The next phrase is to come after. Jesus said, if anyone was to come after me, okay? Now this word, this, this phrase come after can be translated to mean passionate pursuit. It doesn't mean just kind of this ho-hum like, oh yeah, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. Then I'm going to kind of do my own thing. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come to church every once in a while. And I'm going to uh, read my Bible when I have a lot of time and nothing else to do or when I really need something. If I really need something from God, then I'll read my Bible. Um, I'll try not to cuss unless I'm really angry. Um, I'll try not to watch inappropriate TV shows when my kids are still awake, you know, doing those kind of things. That is not what this come after is about. This come after is a very passionate pursuit. Uh, the language used here is actually very, could, be, could also be used in the, the pursuit that a man would have for a woman when he's seeking a mate, going after his wife or going after a girlfriend. Guys, if you have had a girlfriend or, or you have a wife, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say passionate pursuit. Because when we have our eyes set on someone and we, just, we make up our mind that, yeah, that person needs to be with me, then uh, we don't really let a whole lot get in our way. Amen? Man, I should have got a better amen from that. Amen? Come on, man. Let your wife know you went after her hard, right? In fact, when I, when I think about it, um, you know, Joy, when, when her and I were dating, I've told part of this story before, but I was living in, in the Sahara Desert in Africa for a good bit of the time we were dating. We were long-distance dating which I don't ever recommend, it's miserable. But it was back in 99, and our form of communication was basically phone calls on a landline, which was not really much of an option because it was like $2 a minute. And on a missionary budget, that's not going to work. Uh, and the other way was email, and it was, it was like dial-up email, not, not cable internet. It was the kind where you had to plug in the phone line to your laptop, and then it did the <laughs> that type of thing, and you just prayed that it connected so your email would go through and you could receive emails. And... Uh, so that was our major, major form of communication. We emailed a lot. And uh, I, there, was, there was times we, where we were living, we'd have these sandstorms. And they were like what you would think they were. It was like just sand blowing everywhere. Even the locals didn't go out on those days. It was typically like 120 degrees on those days. It was, it was a really bad day. Just, most people just stayed inside. And inevitably, it seemed like our phone line didn't work those days. I don't know if it had something to do with the sand or what, but our phone lines wouldn't work. So the only way for me to send or receive emails was to walk to the nearest internet cafe. Well, I wasn't letting no sandstorm stop me from sending a, you know, a really mushy email to Joy and also receiving even a mushier one back from her. That was a big deal, you know. That's, that's what got me through the next day. And uh, so I would weather the storm, you know. I'd have to wrap like a sheet around my face and I'd walk two miles with my laptop to the internet cafe and, you know, send my email to her that told her how wonderful she is and, and uh, I'd receive her email to me saying how wonderful I am and the world was fine, you know. And then, but God forbid, if she hadn't got to her computer yet and sent an email, I'd have to go back again that day and get another, try to get another email from her, you know, because if I didn't get an email, then something was wrong. You know, she had another boyfriend. She forgot about me. So, uh, but I, that, was, that was just one example of where I, I passionately pursued her because I wanted to be in communication with her because I, I loved her and I knew I was going to marry her. So I didn't let the weather or anything get in my way. And that's what this come after is what Jesus is talking about. That's what he wants from us, where we would passionately pursue him and that we wouldn't let weather or, or anything get in the way of us coming after Jesus. That's his heart for us. That's what he expects from us. And, uh, you know, we joke about it here sometimes that, you know, if, if on a Sunday morning it's raining, we could pretty much guarantee that our attendance is going to be down 10 to 15%. 
it's just a given because there's just a, some people just aren't going to, you know, they wake up on a Sunday morning and they see it's raining. And they're like, no, nope, I ain't doing this. We're going to stay home and watch. We're going to watch the pregame shows today. Amen. And uh, which, you know, it's not a big deal. We're not, I'm not condemning anyone for not coming to church if it's raining. I'm sure I've skipped church on a rainy day too. But, uh, but I just think, you know, when we are passionately pursuing Jesus, we don't let anything get in the way. Nothing will get in the way of us pursuing him. Uh, and, you know, frankly, in the U.S., we don't really have a great concept of what it even means to have a struggle in our pursuit of Jesus. You know, we don't receive a lot of persecution here. You, you look overseas, you look what's happening in the Middle East, and Christians that refuse to deny their faith are basically waiting in line to get executed, and they'll stand there and do it. And they're the ones that are passionately pursuing him in that way because they're receiving some serious obstacles. Our biggest obstacles are rain and, and fatigue and being overworked, you know, which those things are real too. But Jesus expects us to come after him with a passionate pursuit. And then the next part of that is that he expects us to take up our cross. Now, this is a, this is a hard, this, this, I would just assume this not be in the Bible, if I'm being brutally honest. Because this is not a great phrase. This is not something that we read this and go, oh, goody, I get to take up my cross and follow Jesus today. On the, on the surface, it's not a great thing. Because what, what people knew back then when Jesus made this comment or made, said this, they were living under Roman rule at the time. And they knew that if you were taking up your cross, it was a one-way journey. Okay? When the Romans decided you were, you were going to be crucified, they sentenced you to death. They forced you to take your own cross to the place where you're going to be crucified. We know this because of the story of Jesus and him being crucified. But that was actually very common for them to force the person to carry their own cross. And you knew if you were picking up a cross to go to wherever you were going, you weren't coming back. It wasn't one of those things where you just took it there and then they kind of changed their mind. If you were carrying your cross, it was a one-way journey to your death. And that's Jesus telling these people that are gathered around him and saying, telling his disciples and saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be one of my followers, I expect you to take up your cross. Basically, I expect you to, to sign your own death sentence. Not literally, but you're dying to yourself. You're, now, from now on, your life is not your own. You have given up your life for me. You're, you're trusting me now to live in you and through you, and you're giving everything you are to me. There's no, there's no mediocrity. There's no uh, half-hearted following me. If you're going to come after me, you need to do it with all your heart. In fact, in Matthew 10, Jesus is talking similar to this, and he actually says, if you don't take up your cross daily and follow me, that you're not even worthy of me. He goes as far as to say, you're not worthy of me if you're not willing to take up your cross. That, to me, doesn't leave a place for me to say, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm just going to kind of do my thing and, and go to church and try to be a good person and, you know, I'll, I'll seek Jesus if I really need help or if I, you know, if I get a bad report from the doctor or if I lose my job, that's when I'm going to go hard after Jesus. But as soon as he answers my prayer, then I'm going to kind of relax again and kind of be this nominal, ho-hum kind of Christian. There's no place for that in the Word of God. If we're going to follow Jesus, he wants us to follow him with everything we are and take up our cross. And then the last word in that is Daily. It doesn't maybe sound like a very important word, but daily means not just Sunday. It's not okay for us, according to what Jesus is saying, he's, not, he's saying it's not okay to just serve me one day a week or serve me when it's, when it's good for you or when you need me or when you're at a crisis in life. He's saying pick up your cross daily and follow me. And he said daily because he knows that human nature is, even though we want to do this, we want to take up our cross, we want to follow him. And after today, hearing this, you know, really powerful, wonderful message that you're hearing, ha ha, uh, you may leave here and go, you know what, I really do. I want to passionately pursue Jesus. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow him. Well, Jesus knows that tomorrow you may not feel that way. You know, life comes back in, you got your job, you got your, 
your kids that, you know, may be driving you crazy. You may have other issues in life. And next thing you know, you're distracted with everything in the world that could be a distraction. And it's not second nature to us to just get up and continue to do this. So that's why Jesus had to tell us, you have to do it daily. You have to be intentional to do this daily because every day is a new day. So every day brings a new day of distractions. Every day brings more of the world coming at you, trying to convince you that what it needs and what you needs are more important than what God needs from you. And so being a follower of Jesus, there is a price to pay. And we need to ask ourselves if, we, if our relationship with him is costing us anything. So the second question that we can ask ourselves as we, as we approach 2016 is am I giving God my best or my leftovers? Because we know now that we can't serve God without it costing us something, but is it costing us a little or is it costing us a lot? Are we giving him whatever's just left? Do we just kind of, you know, we'll kind of throw him the scraps or do we give him the first? Uh, another way of putting it is, is God your backup plan or is he your only plan? And my heart is that he would be my only plan. That if, if he doesn't come through for me, if he's not there, if, if, I'm not, if he's not first in my life, that my life would almost just fall apart. Because I'm so dependent on him that I can't do it any other way. Amen? And, and he does not want to be our leftovers. And I'm going to share a verse in a second, but I want to I do an illustration for you to kind of give you a visual of that. I'm going to ask uh, my brother Kel to come on up, and, and uh, he's going to help me here. We're going to do an illustration. So what I have here is a Granny Smith apple. Anybody like Granny Smith? Sour apple? Yeah, got to like that. So um, let's say this apple represents all the time that you have in a week, okay? Now, we know with an apple that, uh, I'm sorry, this thing keeps rustling. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you only have so much time in a week. There's only so many bites out of the apple. And everything is vying for your time, right? Everything, everything is always coming after our time. So there's only so much we can do in a week. There's only so much time we have. And so this is going to represent how much how much time we have in a week to do what we have to do. And so Kel's going to represent the, the Christian man, person. He's, he's all of us, okay? And uh, so when we think of the, the time that we have to spend during the week, the, the first thing that comes to mind is our job. You know, job takes a lot of our time. So that takes a big bite out of the apple. That might even take two bites out of the apple, uh, depending on your job, you know? And if you're working overtime, you know, the whole apple's gone. So don't, we're not, you're not working overtime. You're working a normal 40-hour week, okay? Um, Something else that takes time out of our lives is our sleep. Everybody, who, who likes sleep? Yeah. Uh, there should be a big amen in the house for that. I love sleep. That takes a good bit of your time. You definitely want to get your sleep. You have to have your rest. You know, if you don't have your rest, you're not yourself. That's not good. Uh, you you got to eat. Eating takes time. Uh, you know, we're supposed to chew our food, what, 40 times each bite? That takes time, you know. And if we're doing it the way we're supposed to, we're eating three meals a day, that, that takes time out of my life, you know. And if you go to lunch with Pastor Steve, it's going to take three hours out of your day. So, uh, so you're not eating with Steve, though, so don't eat the whole apple. Okay. Um, so uh, w- something else that takes time out of your day would be, you know, Facebook. I mean, Instagram, social media. That, I mean, that's crucial. I mean, you ha- I have a lot of followers that need to know what's going on in my life. You know, they're hanging on every word I say. They're hanging on every picture I post. And if I don't post a picture of my kids, you know, people are wondering if they're still alive. And so I have to post it and I have to... I have to filter it and make sure they look beautiful and perfect every time. So that takes a good 20 minutes. And then, you know, I got to surf everybody else's pictures to see whose kids mine look better than, right? Um, I'm exaggerating. I don't do that. In fact, I post very, very little if you do follow me. But, uh, but social media takes up part of our time. You know, God bless me with an iPhone. I should be able to use it to surf, you know? Um, 
So that's something that takes time out of our life. Uh, it is football season, and God, God blesses us with football. That's a big, take a bite out of that boy. Um, we don't want, you know, there's no overtime games, but we're definitely watching some good football. So, so after all these things vie for our time, you see what we got left is basically the remnants of, a, of a, what was a really good apple. And it's easy for us to think sometimes that, okay, you know, I have to do all these things. I got all these things pulling at my time and attention. Oh, yeah, I've got to give God something too. You know, God deserves some of my time. I want to give him some because, you know, he's, he's good. And, and I, I just, I want to be that, I want to be a, a good Christian. So I want to give him some of my time. So it's easy for us to casually just kind of discard the apple and say, here you go, God. Here's what's left, you know. Yeah, give Kel a hand. Thanks for helping, Kel. He got, he got two fruit servings today. He did this in the early service, too. Uh, but, you know, when we, we discard what we got left and we give it to God, you know, you might give him a couple minutes to pray in the evening before you go to bed, or you might, you know, you might read your Bible app or read a Christian story online, which that doesn't count, by the way. Um, but it's easy for us to think, oh, you know what? I gave God something. And, and God's looking at this like, oh, look, look, Gabriel. Kel gave us a little something. There's still some apple left on here. You know, ooh, he, he must really love us. Man, I mean, I got, I got two, three good bites out of this still, you know? And we can easily think that way, like, oh, God's happy with something. At least I'm giving him something. But let me read a verse to you that, that would contradict that heavily, okay? And it's in Malachi. I know Malachi is not a great book to read out of because it's, it's a kind of a rebuke from the Lord to the children of Israel. But it's so good what, what the Lord says through Malachi in this book. In chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, it says, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. So what's happening here is, you know, the children of Israel, they had to bring the sacrifices to the, to the priest to, to offer. The, they had to bring uh, animals to the priest to offer as sacrifices to make atonement for their sins, okay? And so they knew this from the law. The law was given, and they, they had to bring these animals. But the law was very clear that when you brought an animal for a sacrifice, it was to be without spot, without blemish. It was to be the cream of the crop. You were supposed to bring your best when you brought this sacrifice to atone for your sins. And it was very, very clear, and they knew it. But as time went on, they kind of... They kind of just, it kind of eroded a little bit. And they got more and more to where they would just bring a kind of a half-hearted offering and, and say, well, you know, we got this goat back at the farm that keeps walking into walls. And uh, so why don't we just offer that one? You know, that thing, he, he's not any good anyway. So they'd bring a blind goat or they'd bring one that, you know, maybe had its leg broken that couldn't walk. So they'd just drag that goat up to the temple and give that to the priest. And the priest, knowing better, took these and made sacrifices on the altar. And so God basically through Malachi says, you are, you are making my altar, you're defiling my altar. You're making it contemptible by these lame offerings that you're bringing me. And see, it'd be easy for the children of Israel to think, well, you know, at least we're bringing him something. At least I'm not totally ignoring the law. I'm bringing him something. He should be happy with something. And God's saying, no, I'm not happy. In fact, in the next verse, in verse 10, watch what he says here. He says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Wow. 
God is basically saying, I wish you guys would just close the church doors and leave it alone. Because by you bringing this half-hearted, who cares kind of offering to me, giving me your scraps, you're defiling my altar. You're insulting me. And I'd rather you just close the doors to the church and stop lighting these useless fires on my altar. That's kind of a hard word. Because for us in modern day Christendom, we kind of think, We've kind of come accustomed to thinking, you know, God loves us. He, he, he's good with whatever we bring him. You know, if I, if I give $5 to God, you know, of my, of my offering, he's, at least I'm giving him something. At least I'm not letting the offering bucket go by without putting something in it, you know. And it, there's nothing wrong with giving something. But I'm just saying to think that, that God is okay with our half-hearted offerings or, or sacrifices to him, he's not at all. And I know some of you are looking at me saying, well, wait a minute, but God's love is unconditional. You know, we're under, we're under grace. God, we've got the grace of God. Jesus died. There's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. And nobody would agree with you more. I am, I am, a, I am standing here as an example of the grace of God. No question about it. The, the fact that, that I am here today is proof that God is a gracious God. And I believe that with all my heart. But if you really understand what grace is, if you really understand the, the, the unconditional love of God... What it does is it actually compels us to want to give him our best. It compels us to want to give him our best, not to say, how much can I get away with? Like, oh, is he going to be okay with that? Like, can I just do this much? Is that okay, Lord, if I just do this much? That's, that's not an understanding of grace. A real understanding of grace is for what he's done for me, for him giving everything to me, all, I'm going, all I can do is give him all that I am. And the, what it comes down to, like, we don't get into works is the fact that he doesn't necessarily care who or how much you give to him or what, what kind of giftings you have to offer to him. That's not what it's about, but it's about you giving your whole heart to him and bringing a full sacrifice of saying, you're not getting my leftovers, Lord. You're getting my first. You're getting everything that I am because you deserve it. It may not be much. I may not be nothing up here. I may not be much. I may not have a lot of the gifts. I may not have a lot of the talents, the abilities, the forethought, whatever that some people have, but whatever I have, it's yours. And you're getting it. And that's what he expects from us. And that's all he asks us to give. And it's actually very freeing. And that's a real true example of the grace of God for each one of us. And, you know, Paul said in, uh, I can't remember where it is now, but we talked about running the race to win the race. Um, if I was spiritual enough, I'd know exactly where it is, but I don't. Um, but, you know, he talks about how we, we need to run the race to win the race. We need to run to win. He, he said he beats his body so that he will not be disqualified for the prize. You know, life isn't really a sport. But Paul even understood that to, to relate it to people, especially to men, to make it about a sport to help us to understand is that we should be running this race of life to win. We're not running just to finish. You know, some people will run marathons. They're just happy to finish because it's such a long marathon. This is not, the Christian life is not a marathon. The Christian life is a full-out sprint race. We're, we are called to try to to live our life in a way as to win the race because that is what God expects from us. Amen? So the third question, the fin- third and final question that we would ask ourselves, am I a fan or a follower? Am I a fan or a follower? And there's a big difference between the two and I'm gonna explain. The, the one way to describe the difference would be one is, is, am I all about knowledge? Do I have knowledge or do I have intimacy? Because there's a big difference. Knowing about Jesus, knowing about God is not being a follower of him. The Pharisees knew a lot about God. Satan knows a lot about God. Satan knows more scripture than you and I combined. 
That doesn't make him a follower. And see, Jesus does not need more fans. He wants followers. And, and the, the best way I can describe it to you as far as a fan would be, is because it is college bowl season, and I am a big Ohio State fan because that's where I'm from. And uh, if, if you're from Ohio and you're not an Ohio State fan, they escort you to the state line and tell you never to come back. So, uh, I, of course, I was one of those that would help escort people, I think. I'm a pretty big fan. But, and I love them. I love watching them. If they win, I get excited. If they lose, I get depressed for 10 minutes or so, and then I snap out of it. But it's, it, it, being a fan of a team like that, one thing that really struck me, if, if you are a college football fan, you know last year they won the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. They won the whole thing. It was an exciting time. It was a big game. It went until like 1.30 in the morning. And I was exhausted the next morning, but I really, I really enjoyed watching the game. But the craziest thing happened the next morning. I still had to get up and go to work. Nothing, I realized really quickly, nothing in my life changed except that the next day I was really, really tired. That's the only thing that changed. And then, you know, this year they were expected to like steamroll through everybody and be the champs again with one arm tied behind their back. And that didn't happen. They actually lost the game a few weeks ago. And I was kind of bummed out about it because it was, you know, my expectations weren't met. But again, the same thing happened. The next morning I got up, I went to work, and everything was the same. And the reason was, is because I'm a fan, but I'm not actually committed. I'm not a follower of them. Like, I'm not part of the organization. I'm not part of what they're doing. I'm just a person that spectates from the outside and watches it. And I get to hoop and holler and, and make fun of people that aren't Ohio State fans when they win. That's really the gist of it. That's really what it boils down to. But when we're a follower, it's completely different. Jesus said, when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he didn't just say, hey, watch me on TV when I preach. You're going to really enjoy it. It's going to be cool. I want you to be one of my followers. And they just went back to what they were doing and continued their, their normal routine. That's not what happened at all. When he told them to follow him, he said, like, he said I want you to leave your nets. I want you to leave your job. I want you to leave your life. Come follow me. Like their whole life changed. And the way you can know if you're a follower or a fan of Jesus is that if, if you're, when you got saved, when you gave your, your heart to Jesus and you decided you wanted to live for God, if the path of your life and the priorities of your life didn't change when that happened to you, then you're more of a fan than a follower of Jesus. When you give your heart to Jesus, it's not, it's, it's not just one of those simple things where now, okay, so now I'm a Christian, so now Jesus is just coming along with me. I got him in my hip pocket. All my, in my life. It's not like that at all. He takes over. He takes over the life and your path and your priorities in your life completely change. Because all of a sudden the things that were important to you before you knew Jesus should be different now than, now that you do know him. Like every decision I make now is always considering what God would have me do in a situation. Always. It, it becomes as you're, the longer you're saved, the more it just becomes almost second nature. Where when there's a decision to make, you think, I got to pray about it. I got to ask the Lord what he would have me do. Whatever the decision is, I was talking to someone this morning, talking about changing their small group, the, the time of their connect group, the day and time because of their work situation. And they're like, you know what? I got to pray about it. I got to ask the Lord because this is what makes sense to me practically, but that may not be what the Lord wants because this is what I want, but maybe the Lord wants something else. And that's, that's how we, if you're a true follower of Jesus, that's where you, that's where your mind is. You become, your thoughts are not your own. Like my decisions that I make, they, they don't just affect me. They affect my relationship with the Lord. So Joy and I, anytime we have to make a decision, we're always saying, okay, we need to ask the Lord what he would have us do. And that's the difference between a fan and a follower. If I was just a fan of Jesus, you know, I would, I, if he had a Facebook page, I would I'd be a follower of him on Facebook. 
I'd like everything he posted. In fact, if, he, if there was like a super like, I would super like everything he posted, you know? And I make cool comments and leave hearts and tell him I love him in the comment section. And I would do all those things to let him know that I'm really a fan. You know, I'm really part of what you're doing. But there'd be no commitment on my part. You know, and, and with the social media age the way it is, the word follower has kind of changed meanings a little bit because I have like 680 followers on Facebook and I'm not even sure who a good bit of them are. I just, when people friend request me, I just accept it, you know, because I, I just assume that's the right thing to do, right? Um, but that's not really what a follower is, a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means your, your priorities and the path of your life have changed. And so you, we need to ask ourselves, am I a fan or am I a follower of Jesus? And, you know, if, if you are a fan, it's, it's never too late to become a follower. Amen? And if you were a follower at one time and you've kind of eroded into just a fan, and it's never too late to come back and say, God, I'm tired of just being a fan of yours. I want to be a follower. I want to give you everything that I am. You deserve everything that I am. You deserve my heart. You deserve all of my life. And it's okay for us to, to, to recommit in fact, the beginning of the year is a great time to do that. It's a great time to come back, come to God and say, okay, God, I've been kind of skirting by, my, by the seat of my pants lately, and I've been kind of just doing, taking things as they come. I haven't really been intentional about my relationship with you. I haven't been giving you my best. And I want to challenge you today. At the end here, I want to pray for you, for those of you that want to stand today and say, I want to give God my best this year. You know, and maybe you even gave God best, your best this past year. But when the new year comes, there's a new set of challenges every year. We get a little older. Our kids get a little older. There's new challenges. With kids, we, I, I, I know with my kids, like every year brings a whole new set of challenges. They go to that next level of school, and there's a whole new level of social issues that come along with it and all kinds of things. And to be able to say, God, I want to I give you my best in my relationship with you. I want to give you my best with my family. How many of you in here would say today that you feel like you've given your family your best? Because they deserve it too. Because the Bible, says, the Bible says in Colossians that everything we do, whether in word or deed, let's do it in the name of the Lord. So everything we do, you know, pastor says it all the time. Jesus said, you can't even give a cup of cold water in my name and lose your reward. Well, how much more important then is it that we, that we honor our family in the name of the Lord and take care of our family for dads to, to be there for their children, to be, to be present when you're with your family, you know, to be part of your kids' lives. And to be intentional about being with your kids and to give your best in your job. You know, for some of us, we, we kind of, maybe you don't enjoy your job. Maybe it's just a paycheck for you. And so you just kind of get through the week and you're just living for Friday, living for the weekend, trying to get that paycheck on Friday afternoon, but you haven't really been giving it your best. And you might think, well, you know what? My boss doesn't deserve my best. He doesn't treat me right. That doesn't matter. Jesus said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. So maybe some of you need to take a stand today and say, this year I'm going to give my best at my job. They may not deserve it, but you know what? You don't deserve grace. You don't deserve anything God gives you. None of us do. If we get what we deserve, we're all in a lot of trouble. We're taking the escalator down when we die, not up. Amen? But praise God, we get to take the up escalator, but it's because of what he did for us. So we don't get what we deserve, so why should we feel like we should give everybody else what we feel they deserve? And so some of you need to give your best with your work too. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. I'm going to ask the band to come. They're going to play behind me. And I just want to end by asking you a question that kind of encapsulates everything I've said today. Will you give him your best in 2016? Will you give your best to God? 
Will you commit today to giving your best to God? He is so worth it. He deserves it. But the beautiful thing about giving our best to him is that we don't just give our best and then we don't reap anything from it. We reap great rewards when we give God our best. There's so many promises in the word of God that if we will give ourselves to him, that we will see the fruit of the goodness of God in our lives. You cannot know the heart of God until you give yourself to him. And, you know, it's kind of human nature to to want to kind of have a wait and see attitude. You know, the Pharisees had a wait and see attitude. You know, like, ah, they're going to sit, they kind of sat back and watched Jesus. They're waiting to see what would happen. And, you know, they said, well, you know, if you're the Messiah, why don't you do a miraculous sign right here and right now? And Jesus said, no, I won't do it. Because he knew their heart. He knew their heart wasn't in it. And so we kind of, our human nature is to kind of have that attitude as well. Like, well, you know, if God would answer my prayer, if he'll, you know, I, I really have, a, I have a, a need. If he'll answer that need, you know, I got a bad report from the doctor. If he'll heal me or if he'll heal my child, then I can see his faithfulness. Then I will really give him my best. That'll, that'll push me over the edge. I'll give him my best. Or if he'll, you know, maybe you lost your job this year and you think, if God will give me a new job, I'll really serve him. I'll really, I'll do, I'll go to the next level with you, Lord. I'll give you my best. When really that's the exact opposite of how God wants us to do it. He says, no, no, I want you to come to me. Give me your best. Give me everything you are, and you will see my goodness. You'll see my faithfulness in these situations. And that's what he calls us to do. He wants us to come to him. You know, Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most, if not the most famous sermon ever preached. And he gave all the blessings. And he said, in in verse 8, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you want to see God... All he wants you to do is come to him with a pure heart and say, God, I want to give you my best. I want to give you everything. And don't have any, we don't have any ulterior motives. We're not coming to him because of what he can do for us. We're coming to him because of who he is. We're coming to him because he deserves it. And, you know, uh, next a week from tomorrow, next Monday, we're starting the 21-day fast. You know, here at New Hope, we do a, we do a 21-day fast every year to start off the year. We, we lay a foundation for the year. We, we set the standard at the beginning of the year to say, God, I'm devoting the the first month of my year to you to set a foundation for the rest of this year because I want to give you my best and I want your best for me. And we're challenging you as a church this year to, to fast for three weeks. Uh, we gave you a handout today. It shows a couple different kinds of fasts on the back of it, whether it's an absolute where you fast everything but water or you just fast certain things or you fast social media or you, you fast football or whatever you do. I know for some guys, they'd rather fast food than football, but uh, whatever you choose to fast, we would, we would just want to challenge you to really make a sacrifice this year to fast, to be able to stand, to stand firm and be intentional to say, God, I'm giving you this time because I want to give you my best, but I don't really feel like I'm able to. You know, some of you may say that. Some of you may say, I want to give God everything, but I'm just not, I'm just not there. I'm not there to be able to do it. Like there's just too many distractions. There's too many other things in this world that are vying for my time, for my attention, for my resources, for my money, whatever it is, there's too many other things. I just can't give you my best right now. But if we will take a stand and be intentional and say, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm committing to do it. And you will be amazed at how God will meet you in that place. He will meet you and he will say, if you will take a stand, if you will be sincere and come to me with a pure heart, I will allow you to see me. That's what Jesus said. The pure in heart will see God. And so you don't have to have it all together to be able to say, God, I want to give you my best. You know, that's as ridiculous as saying when people say, you know, I want to go to church, but I want to quit smoking and drinking first and, you know, get my life right before I come to church. And those of us that are saved are like, no, that's the exact opposite. We want you to come here. God will clean you up once you get here. Don't try to get your life perfect. None of us in here are perfect. 
If you could see in our lives, we're all a mess. We're just doing this together. We just love Jesus, but we're still a mess. And so don't think you have to have it all together before you come to him and say, I'm going to give you my best, Lord. That's not what he's asking for. He's asking for you to take a stand and to commit to it. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning or this afternoon. And I'm going to invite you to come to the altar this morning, to the center here. And I would like to pray for you. For, for anyone, I'm going to ask the prayer leaders to come. They're going to be on the sides over here. Anybody that needs specific prayer for something, please come and, and they'd be happy to pray with you. But for those of you that would like for, I would like to pray for those of you that want us to take a stand today and say, God, today I'm taking a stand and I'm giving you my best for 2016. And by coming, you're not saying that you haven't tried in the past or that you're a bad person or that you're a mess. You're just saying, I want to take a stand. And you may not even feel like you can do it. You may feel like coming up here, you may feel like a hypocrite. That's okay. I know you're thinking it's okay to be a hypocrite. I'm not saying it's okay. To be, we're all hypocrites to some degree. But what God wants is for us to come and take a stand and be able to say, God, with your help, I'm going to do this this year. If you want to be able to give your best to him personally, to give your best to your family, if you've neglected your family, you know it if you've neglected them. Don't let 2016 be another year where you just kind of, you just kind of skate through the year and, and you, don't really, you don't really take care of your family. You don't really spend time with them. You don't really build relationships with them. Don't let this year be the same as last year if that was you. Or if you want to commit to giving your best at your job, then come up. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's take a stand and let's ask God to help us to do it. That's all he wants from us is open hearts, pure hearts to come before him and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Come on into the center. Keep coming on in. We're going to pray right here in the middle. Squeeze on in. We're all family here. And I just believe that God is going to help us. I mean, I'm with you guys today. Like, I want to give God my best. Some days I feel like I don't have it to give him. Just because I'm on church staff doesn't mean it just all of a sudden becomes easy to give God your best. There's all kinds of things. Even in church work, there's things that pull you away from actually giving your best to God. You can get focused on so many other things. There's so many distractions. Some of you can come on around over here. We've got more room over here. I believe 2016 is going to be a phenomenal year, church. I really do. I know that could sound almost cliche. That the last week of December, everybody says stuff like that. But I'm telling you, I believe it this year. I'm so committed to our fast that we're doing. I'm believing for God to, I'm, I'm laying a foundation this year. I'm believing for God to do some miraculous things in the people in this church and in this church as a whole. I'm believing for so many things from God. I believe he stirred my heart to believe for him for things. And I believe it for you as individuals as well. That's his heart for us, that 2016 would be your best year yet. Your best year yet. The best is yet to come. Amen. Hallelujah. Church, I would ask you, those of you that are in your seats, just pray with me as we pray for all these people at the altar. There's a lot of people up here that, that really want to give God their best. And I just encourage you today that taking the stand is real. It's not superficial. God sees it. He sees your heart and he will answer your prayer. So let's pray. God, I thank you today. I thank you for each and every person at this altar. Lord, I thank you that their hearts were stirred to come and take a stand to commit to giving their best to you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you so much that you gave your best for us, that you gave us, that you set the standard, you gave us the example to live by. That when, when the time came that we needed a savior, 
You didn't send somebody else to do the job. You came and did it for us. You gave us everything you had. And you deserve our very best. And so, Lord, for everybody at this altar, Lord, I pray for those that, that just need to give their best to you personally in their relationship with you, that have been holding back things in their life that they haven't given over to you, that they haven't relinquished to you, that they've been holding in themselves and not willing to let go, God. I pray they will be able to release those things, that they will be able to give you everything in their life, all those, those dark areas, those secret areas in their life that may be holding them back, that they're ashamed of or that nobody knows about or that they continue to struggle with, the sin that so easily entangles, those things that, that are holding them back, God. I pray they would be able to release those to you, to trust you enough to say, God, I trust you. I don't know how to do this, but I trust you, Lord. And I pray that you would meet everyone in this place, Lord. Every need, every person, Lord, that their heart would be touched and that they would see you. Because, Lord, we know that when we see you, Everything changes. Everything changes. So God, I pray for every person that they would have that ability, that they would see you. And God, I pray for, for those that just need to give their family their best this year, that they, they've been maybe neglecting their family or, or the family's been getting their leftovers because so many other things are vying for their time and their energy. God, I pray you would help them to take a stand to give their family their best this year, that this would not be like 2015. That 2016 would be a new year. It would be a new time. And the commitment to the family would be renewed in those people at this altar that need that, God. And I thank you for it, Jesus. And for those that need to give their best at their place of work. Lord, we know that some of us are in jobs that we don't love, that we're just doing it for a paycheck. But God, we know what your word says. We are to do all things as unto you. And so, God, I pray that you would help them to give their best at their job. Lord, if their boss doesn't deserve their best, it doesn't matter. You gave us your best, so we give you ours in our place of work. And, and we commit to that today, Lord God. We commit to it. I pray that you would supernaturally help us to give you our best this year in every area of our life, Lord, that you would be glorified, that your name would be lifted high through our actions, through our deeds, through the things we do this coming year, God. And I pray that people in our lives would see you in us and that it would draw them to you, Lord. I pray that unsaved people in the families represented here today, Lord, that their eyes would be open to the truth of the gospel and that the people at this altar would be, would be uh, an example, would be instrumental in those people getting saved, Lord. We pray for salvations this year. We pray that family, that coworkers, that relatives would get saved in the name of Jesus. And we believe you for it, Lord. Would you draw them to you and would you use us to be a light and to be your mouthpiece and to be your example for them, God. And we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We bless you, God. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Yes, give God praise. He's worthy of it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Is anybody thankful for a fresh, clean slate? Amen. Amen. It's going to be a wonderful year. And Jesus, I believe that God's going to help you guys to give him your best this year. He's not going to, he doesn't leave you to do it on your own. He doesn't say, do this and then just leave you and not help you. He empowers us by his spirit to do what he calls us to do. So I'm believing for great things for you. I will pray for you. You pray for me this year. And we'll believe for some great testimonies this year. Amen. Amen. God bless you. you can